Jessica and Carla's high school reunion is back, and this week's special guest is Mike Montgomery. Wow, we cover a lot of ground in this episode. Mike's antics in high school, his calling to be a pastor, and the life he's built with his wife Kristen and their three children while living all over the world. Before we began recording, Mike said that he might share a hilarious and somewhat embarrassing story, and we're happy to report that he did along with a second story involving the Serbian Mafia. This is our 18th episode, and we would love to hear your feedback and ideas. You can contact us at jessicaandcarla1989 at gmail.com. That's all one word, no spaces or funny characters. Now, enjoy this conversation with Monster Mike. We are back. How are you today, Carla? Good. I'm good. It's a really sunny, warm day here in the Bay Area. A little too warm for fall, but I know it's going to end soon, so I'm trying to take advantage of it. Just really, really enjoying this fall. Glad that Halloween is behind me, and now we're looking to Thanksgiving and and the winter holidays. And I, I heard from my 14 year old that Starbucks already has the peppermint lattes out and that we got to get out there and get on it. All right. It's time to consume people. Tis the season. <laughs> the season of greed. That's right. Let's go. <laughs> so we are coming up on, this is going to be our 18th episode that we've recorded since the summer. Yes. Hard to believe, huh? I know. I know. I feel like we are just getting better and better and wiser and wiser. And longer and, and longer. longer and longer <laughs> with our episodes. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. I've been thinking a lot about how do we how do we get some feedback on this podcast from our classmates? I mean, we hear lots of positive comments mm-hmm. and it's a pretty we still only we're still only in the first 25% of our classmates mm-hmm. and we'd really love to get, get everyone. So I'd love to know what would be an obstacle to someone doing this or how we can make sure that we get as many people as possible. And also what could we do to make it better? Absolutely. Dear listeners, we welcome your <laughs> feedback and suggestions. What questions would you like us to ask? Or what would make you certain to come on the podcast? That's a really good question. Yes. What can we do to lure you if you've been reluctant? I would love to hear whether listeners have some ideas for um, kind of spinoff episodes. You know, like we interviewed Nancy Spencer, but perhaps it would be fun to do some other adjacent episodes um, as we go along. We could interview our, our own high school aged um, children. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> bring them on as guests. <laughs> I mean, it's, I think I, when I think about um, some of the reluctance that I've heard out in the, in the 
chatter. It's been a little bit about feeling nervous about being vulnerable or, or, you know, maybe it's just not the right time in your life right now to, to come. And we totally understand that, but it would be great to hear from everyone. It would be. Um, and if, and really, if there are suggestions for how to make this more fun or um, more interesting, please, please share. We would love to hear them. <laughs> in the meantime, we've got another amazing guest today. We've got Mike Montgomery, known to us back in the day as Monster Mike. I was thinking about that. How did he get the nickname Monster Mike? Was it just he was so tall? Yeah, I think he was tall and he was a friendly monster. You know, I don't think he was a scary monster. I, like when I think about Monster yeah. Mike, I was thinking more along like Cookie Monster Mike or Sesame Street Monster, not like a dark and evil monster. Agreed. <laughs> I feel like Damien and Jenny and Christine named him that. Mm, that could be. Yeah. yeah, that sounds right. I definitely remember a lot of his time hanging out with those, with Damien in particular. And um, it'll be interesting to hear how life has changed for him. He, he's been at our reunions with his wife, Kristen. And um, I remember him as always just being very outgoing. And here he is. Ta-da. Oh my God. Hey. Mike, it's so good to see you. I just want to tell you just off the bat, you guys are great. This is so amazing. I'm like, I just got through Jeff Eaton's episode. I've like ripped through 11 episodes in two days. Nice. Binge worthy. No, it is. <laughs> but oh my gosh, you look like you are a professional podcaster or like a DJ. A or... Big microphone. I speak for a living. <laughs> so you know like I, I i we we have we have good equipment so yeah well so good to see I you guys i've been looking forward to today for a while well i'll get us started today and um you know mike you've been listening to this podcast now for a couple of days you've been binging full and binge, so, full binge. <laughs> and we're really just so happy you're you've come on the, on the show but you know that we always start with the same question with everyone, which is, Mike, what have you been doing for the last 35 years? Well, you know, I, I graduated from high school and the initial desire or goal was to go be a doctor and make lots of money. I mean, my dad was a dentist and um, so headed down to New Mexico State and was hoping to knock out all my undergrad stuff. And then the goal actually was to join uh, Damien at UCLA. I mean, that's where he was. And, um, you know, is to get out there and do med school, maybe at USC, UCLA, and then be either an orthopedic surgeon or uh, a plastic surgeon doing uh, boob jobs and tummy tucks. Nice. So. Well, I'm not ready for both. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, really kind of the end of first year of college, things really began to change. And um, I won't get into the whole story, but I ended up going to a conference in uh, August of 1990. And I remember the exact date. It was August 12th, 1990. And um, it changed my life forever. Um, the guy that was speaking, he's pretty well known now. But um, he basically said, hey, some of you are here and you have your whole life planned out, but you've never asked uh, God what he had for you. Like, well, 
you know, like, mm -hmm. yeah. And so that was me. I kind of had everything all planned out and I grew up in a house of faith. My mom was, you know, very much a, a believer and that was a huge influence on me. But um, I remember just sitting there and I was up in the mezzanine. I walked down and um, I mean, I just stood there. I was like, I mean, literally I prayed this. I'm like, okay, Lord, you know what? I have this whole plan of being a doctor. If that's what you want me to do, that's fine. But, you know, I'm kind of tired of trying to figure it out myself. And if you want me to be a garbage man, I don't care. And there's actually two things that I said in my head, I said, you know, but like, don't ever have me be a pastor and please God, don't ever have me go overseas and be a missionary. So God has a really, you know, a big sense of humor and because I've done both of those things. And so um, I ended up transferring back to UNM, um, completely changed my major. I was pre-med and changed it. I, I don't even know what I changed it to. It was like family studies or, I mean, just some bizarre, you know, thing. And, um, at the time that I moved back, I started going to um, this church in Albuquerque, Calvary Chapel, big church down on Osuna, used to be indoor tennis and then became indoor soccer and stuff like that. So um, ended up there and uh, completely just got involved and I was gonna go to Bible college and then Skip Heitzig, the pastor there, started a school of ministry. I went to that part of the requirement to complete that was to go overseas and do a mission trip. So we went to uh, Hungary and Yugoslavia. It was still Yugoslavia at the time. This was like 1992. And we were gone for like five or six weeks and um, loved it. But man, when we got back, I think I was like first one off the plane and like literally kissed the ground. I was just like so happy to be back in America. So never, never thinking that I would go back. And then the next year they asked me if I wanted to um, take a team. I was 22, 23. Yeah. I'd have been 23 at the time, young and dumb. I'm like, you don't want me. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, and before we even left the States, I almost lost $12,000. That was, you know, to cover the whole team at, at the Houston airport. So, um, I don't know that they really knew what they were getting into, but I went and ended up staying over there, um, after for about nine months and hooked up with this guy and he was starting churches. And so that kind of changed really my trajectory. And every time I would come home, um, my grandparents were both educators. Um, my aunts, my two aunts were educators. My uncle was an educator. Dad was a dentist. And so the question was like, well, when are you going to go back to school and finish, you know, your degree? I'm like, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I mean, I'm just walking through the doors that um, seems like God's opening for me. And one thing led to another and um, ended up coming back to Albuquerque and uh, met a gal. We were both on staff at Calvary Albuquerque. We got married, um, ended up moving to Budapest, Hungary, six weeks after uh, getting married. So new life, new church, new culture, new language, new friends, new everything. And it's amazing that we made it through the first year. <laughs> I mean, we're both very, you know, headstrong and opinionated and, you know, we're either going to blow apart or get forged in the fire. So um, <laughs> we made it through the first year. We've been married uh, January be 27 years. And wow. congratulations. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a big deal. Absolutely I'm married up, love my wife, and she's just um absolute, you know, rock. But uh had two kids over in Budapest. So two of yeah, my two oldest were born there, and then we had a third when we moved back to Colorado. So we were there for about four years, ended up moving back to Colorado, not by choice. <laughs> 
um, got pulled over by the police in Budapest, and we were in the process of renewing our resident visa, and it expired, but I, I don't know, I was young and naive, I'm like, okay, well, we're in the process, it's not that big a deal, well, it was a big deal. Actually got um, driven to jail, and spent three hours in jail, and then they said, you have to leave the country in 72 hours. Well, Kristen was about nine months pregnant, do any day oh and gosh. so we petitioned yeah we petitioned the government and got to stay for another month had our first um, child lucas and then we went to austria for a month and then tried to get back in and couldn't for some reason my passport my name was flagged and so we ended up having to go back to the states and then we applied to come back and we got denied. So that really mm. kind of messed with me for a while, but we ended up um, going up to Colorado and was on staff at uh, a church up there. And then we made our way back to Hungary in 2003. We're there for a year, went down to Croatia and lived in Croatia for 2004, thinking we were gonna be there longer. Um, ended up in Denver, we are in Denver for probably seven, eight years. And I was on staff as an assistant pastor in Littleton for about three of those years. And then we went and started a church kind of where the old, um, where old airport was, the Stapleton Air. So we started yeah. a church over there and got that up and going. And then we uh, turned it over to a friend about four years later and headed to New Zealand. <laughs> so we were in New Zealand for four years and, um, you know, just... I was teaching at a Bible college down there and then pastoring a church for a couple of years. And then lo and behold, um, now we are in Red Wing, Minnesota. So yeah, if you would have asked me back in high school and told me you know, one day I'd be a pastor, I'd live in Hungary, Croatia, New Zealand, and then end up in Minnesota, I would say, you're freaking crazy. <laughs> so yeah. I'm so curious. What, you know, what is, what has been so appealing to you about going to foreign countries and doing your work there? It seems like you've really been pulled in that direction and wanted to do that. And I'm kind of curious how that experience has been for you. Well, I mean, you know, coming out of high school, like I always wanted to travel. I always wanted to go see the world and see Europe. And, um, you know, I thought it would be on a doctor's salary and just vacationing. <laughs> um, you know, I've gotten yeah. to see the world. I mean, I've I've been to Rome. I've been to Israel, been to Costa Rica. Been We were in Africa a year and a half ago um, in Uganda and South Sudan. And um, so, I mean, my life, I, I feel, has just been absolutely... Um, a blessing and you know beyond you know kind of anything I could have dreamt up but you know I, I was pulled initially to Hungary and, and and you saw me that trip just because it was an opportunity to go to Europe it was there was no like spiritual oh you know God what do you want me to do it's like well yeah there's four trips there's one to China there's one to Mexico there's one somewhere else and there's one to Europe I'm going to Europe I mean it was it was that simple but you know and, and being in Europe you know just love the culture love the history and I mean Budapest is I mean, gosh, it's it's got to be my favorite city. You know, I've been to lots of cities, but I mean, I speak the language. So when I get together with Ken, we we can go into and have little secret conversations and, and speak Hungarian. So cool. Yeah, so it's it, it, it's fun. But um, just yeah, I mean, people are people. You know, yeah, the culture's different, but you know, there's still um, the same needs that people have, and so just found it fascinating. And like I said, I. 
I get bored. Um, always, you know, here's the thing. I don't know about you guys, but growing up in New Mexico, I always used to call it the land of entrapment. And <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I appreciated it. You know, really, when I was there and I left, I always wanted to get out. And I finally got out. I was just back like a few weeks ago um, in Albuquerque. Real quick, a friend um, brought me in to teach. He has a church in Berlin. And um, it's crazy. He has a church of a thousand people in 7,000 person Berlin. It's, it's just crazy. So he brought me in oh and God. I just thoroughly enjoyed, man, just the blue skies, the wide open space. And I was like, man, I used to really, I think, take this for granted. But I, I even drove all the way back up, you know, to the top of the, the Sandia crest. And just, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed I'm like, yeah, you know what, like, I, I can appreciate this now. So, um, but, but I always had that wild itch to travel. So what have been the big joys and big challenges of your role? Um, gosh, you know, like, like I love teaching. I mean, I, I teach every Sunday. I teach the Bible. Um, that's what a pastor does. But um, there's a lot of guys I know that love teaching, but they don't like the one-on-one -on -one kind of interpersonal. Um, I know many pastors that they really kind of, distance themselves from that. And I, and I, I, I love both. I mean, I love just getting to um, spend time with people. And a lot of times I'm spending time with people when they're going through, you know, tough times. That's often when they open up or when they reach out. And so my wife and I are constantly sitting with, you know, different people, maybe marriages and you know, shambles, or they have a kid who's just going off the rails, or, you know, they've lost a, a mother or father or, you know, a child, you know, and so it, it's really rewarding to sit and, and walk with people through just those experiences and try to offer them, um, you know, just encouragement and hope. And, you know, sometimes you just sit with them, you know, There's, like, I can try to like say all the right things, but sometimes just being with them and just sitting there, you know, and just letting them talk and just, you know, is, is sometimes the best thing. So, you know, it, it, it's really rewarding for me doing that. How big is your church, you say? Yeah, so um, I'm sitting in the sanctuary right now, and you guys are talking to me on what is the day before kind of our biggest day since we've been in Minnesota. Because, so our church is probably about 130, 140 right now. And um, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., we are signing papers for our new property. So it's 23,000 square feet, old school on seven acres. Wow. And um, we're gonna really have the ability to, you know, grow and expand. So super, super exciting. Never been in this position before. Kind of don't know what I'm doing, but um, we're just enjoying, you know, being along for the ride. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so curious, how, how have you and maybe your spouse, your, your wife, how have you all, um, sounds like you work together, right? Um, how have the two of you grown and evolved both as individuals, but also together as a couple, as you've been doing this work, the shared work together? 27 years is a long time. It is. And I've, talked to, I've said this before, I mean, my husband and I are in the same industry and I think we would be okay working together side by side, we, but I think it's challenging. And you and your wife have done this in foreign countries. You've started churches together. Um, what, what's the secret? 
<laughs> um, gosh, I don't know what the secret is. I, I just know when we started dating, like we had a conversation, no joke, within two weeks of actually officially dating where she looked at me and she said, so what do you think you're supposed to do with your life? Which, I mean, that's, that's a pretty big loaded question. You know, I mean, I was 25 at the time and there was a bunch of 20 something people at Calvary Albuquerque and a lot of guys that were just there kind of, yeah, I'm waiting tables, don't really have any kind of like life ambition. And she was really not looking for that. She, she kind of knew what she wanted to do, but she wanted to make sure that um, she was with someone with kind of like mine. And so she said, you know, what do you think you're supposed to do? I said, well, I know I'm supposed to go back to Hungary. I'm supposed to help this guy in Budapest start a church, um, maybe go somewhere else in Hungary and, and start something, probably come back to the States, probably be an assistant pastor somewhere one day, probably end up being a pastor you know, of a church. And I just looked at her and said, if that's not, you know, something that you're interested in, just let me know and we'll, you know, get out of the car and stay friends. And, you know, and she just looked at me and she literally said these words. She said, that's everything that you said. That's all I want to do with my life. And so then she said, I will follow and support you in whatever you know God's called you to do. And she has been true to that, you know, as, you know, as the sky is blue, man, she, she's just been a trooper and it's me, you know, packing up and we go and we've started things and then turn them over and we move. And, you know, Minnesota, honestly, is the longest place we've ever been anywhere. And I'm like, Minnesota, are you kidding? Like, I don't, I don't like cold. <laughs> How long have you been there now? We have been in Minnesota for seven years. Okay. I don't know why I thought you were still in, I think I thought you were still in Colorado and may, or had been in Colorado and just moved, but you've been there for a while. So you've really um, put down some roots and, and your kids probably did their high school years in Minnesota. Right. So three kids, uh, 23, my 23 year old Lucas, he is in uh, Bradenton, Florida, working for Coca-Cola as an accountant. Uh, my 19 year old daughter, she is an aspiring musician. And um, she's in the Dallas area. Her producer's down there. So she's actually put some stuff out on Spotify. And she has gotten involved with a really large church down there. And they recognize how good she is. And so they're starting to spotlight and showcase her. So there's some Sundays where she's on a stage singing in front of 6,000 people. So um, at 19, cool. it's pretty cool. It's a proud dad moment. And then my youngest, which is this is crazy. Um, I just saw him on the way. I was leaving the house to come here for this. Um, he's 17, so he'll be gone this time next year. He'll be out of the house. We'll be empty nesters. But he is um, going to Florida as well, and he's going to play college tennis at oh. a um, small Christian university halfway between Orlando and Tampa called Warner University. The crazy thing is he's only been playing for 19 months and he is that stinking good. Wow. You play, you play tennis, yeah, right? Yeah, no, I was state champ in 89 with Mark Thompson. That's right. So tennis kind of was my life. And then, um, you know, then I blew my knee out and actually I blew my knee out twice. Sophomore year, I was trying to imitate uh, Tim Reedy. So remember the days when we would help with Special Olympics? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yes, so, yes, yes. so they had a come help with Special Olympics up at the crest. And so everyone was skiing. Well, Tim Reedy, Tommy, you know, all those guys, they were like the stud skiers, right? So we're all going up on the chairlift. We had helped the kids in the morning, and then they basically gave us the afternoon to ski. And I remember riding up, and all of a sudden, Tim Reedy, start, he jumps off the chairlift, does a helicopter, 
and oh, like hits the slope God. and then starts skiing. So everyone starts trying to, you know, follow Tim. Well, I'm like, well, everyone's jumping. So I jumped and something happened and I totally jacked my knee. And so that was it for Tennessee's in sophomore year. And then I rehabbed it and my junior doubles partner, if you remember Dirk Zana, the exchange student, remember Dirk from oh, Hamburg, yeah. Germany? Yeah. 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 So, so we were, we were ranked number one and literally the day before districts, we were at practice and he hit a lob over my head and I was running back towards the fence and planted and just crumbled and went crashing oh. into the fence. And so, um, Mark Thompson and Ben got to go and they won state that year. And I got to watch from the sideline and then Mark and I won, uh, in 89, my senior year. You know what's funny about that is that I definitely remember you playing tennis for sure. Yeah. If you had told me Mark Thompson played tennis, I would never have believed. I mean, I would not have thought about that in a minute. I don't know why. I mean, I no, just I mean, like, because everyone knew him as what? Everyone knew him as football, football player and, and, wrestler. and wrestler. I knew, I knew that he but played Mark tennis. Was Mark was a two time state doubles tennis champion. <laughs> So maybe you knew that, Jessica. I, I, I do remember that because I believe there was a year, maybe freshman year, when I attempted to play tennis for the academy. And you were you went without me? you we could have we could have really done well together. I know. It was it was a short lived uh it was a lark, and then I think I ended up I don't even know what, walking or something. Who knows? Yeah, I had to get some. Other I didn't realize that you guys were like actively, actively involved at TCA, and you guys used to play. And you know, Leo was there, like when you guys actively were younger. Actively involved in eating grilled cheese sandwiches, staring at the lifeguards. We did get, we did get private lessons in tennis, but we, we from Dave even, Ocho. Yeah, from Ocho. Yeah, we never even Ocho. competed. We yeah. didn't even compete. For sure. Okay, so that's great. That is a great story. Well, I'm um, curious <laughs> about. I'm trying to imagine what it's like for your three kids, for their parents, to be religious leaders in the community. Do you guys talk about that as a family at all? Oh yeah, no. There's definitely a thing that's. Um, I don't know, people who study these things, there's, they call them MKs, missionary kids, or PKs, pastor's kids. Yeah. And um, there's lots of studies that have been, you know, put out on, you know, this, the phenomena. It's like, if you're a missionary kid, like, you're from the States, but that's not really home, and you're living in this country, and that's not really home, and um, mm -hmm. so, so that can be a challenge. And then pastor's kids a lot of times have all this pressure because everyone's always watching them to make sure, okay, yeah. you know what, you're the pastor's kid, and they have, I would say, unrealistic expectations on them. And um, so, you know, we've had to navigate through that, and, you know, at times it's been challenging, and at times I think our kids have not enjoyed per se, you know, being in that role, but it's mm -hmm. interesting. And I mean, I know Carla and Jessica, you guys each have, you know, still a, a kid at home as well. Um, but as the kids get older, it seems like, you know, and I remember being this 18 and I knew everything and my parents didn't know anything, but as they get older and they're on their own, they start to think through like, I've actually 
receive texts from my daughter is just like, thank you so much for like all that you and mom have done and just, you know, always stepping out and trying to do what you believe God was showing you to do. And I know at times, you know, it was challenging and for us, you know, it wasn't always easy, but I'm so thankful for, you know, just what you showed us, you know, as far as, um, an example as parents. So, no, but they, they've definitely had to, to walk through that and had, you know, sometimes been in the fishbowl. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, my children have had their dad as their head of school since oh, wow. they were tiny people. And so it's a very similar phenomenon for them. They really have often felt under the microscope. And my two older kids went to a, a high school, a different high school, because there was no high school at the time. And I think they felt a relief, <laughs> you know, not to have people associate them with the leadership of the school yeah, and for sure. just to not be under that microscope. And in fact, my son even went away to school, but my youngest child is a freshman at a, the new high school that her dad is starting. So it's, it's intense, I think, but yeah. they've learned, they've learned and they've learned how to manage that. Yeah, but there's an expectation that they're going to always do the right thing, and I think I think maybe Jackson was like one of the few kids that Mark actually had to suspend for a, a day. Yeah, no, I mean, there was there was a couple years ago, man, a rough a rough patch where two of my kids, actually, I'll, I'll just say all three. I'm not trying to out them. I mean, um, but they went through a really rough patch, and part of it honestly had to do with. Um, you know, COVID and everything and just plans that they had that just got completely just blown up. And um, it just sent them kind of down a spiral for a little while and we had to navigate that. And so we're trying to like pass this church and yet like our kids' lives are just like, you know, kind of a mess, mm -hmm. uh, not a mess, but they were just really, really struggling. And we we're trying to have to navigate that while we're trying to like, you know, lead a church and minister to these people. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a challenge for sure. When you're not pastoring, when you're not spending time with your kids, do you have anything that you just like to do just for yourself? Just just to be you? Are you playing tennis anymore? Are you I am because, well, I, you know, tennis was my life. I used to play four or five hours a day in high school, you know, in the summer and stuff. But um, I tried to walk on in New Mexico State. That didn't work. So at that point, kind of tennis, it was there. When I went to Hungary, I played um, a lot, and I was playing on clay, and I absolutely hated it. Um, it was just, ugh. Yeah. yeah, it was just not my game. I mean, I was a servant volleyer, and you don't serve and volley well on clay. So um, that's why John McEnroe never won the French Open. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there was times when I got really into it, and then I just kind of let it go. Um, my son getting into tennis 19 months ago was it's been really super cool because he and I, I I'm coach slash hitting partner and he has a tournament tomorrow starting tomorrow and so Monday Tuesday Wednesday we've been driving Red Wings about an hour from the Twin Cities and it's about 50 minutes from Rochester and um, so they have an indoor tennis court place in uh, Rochester. So we've been down the last three nights from eight to 10, you know, making that drive. And I hit with them for two hours and I'm, I just sit there and like, like Dave Ocho or, you know, other coaches, I just feed them just like hundreds of balls and, you know, I'm coaching them and stuff. So it's been really cool because it's something that he and I get to do together. So um, totally getting back into it. And now my wife's like, well, 
you're getting back into it, you know, what do you think about playing tournaments again? So I'm actually, you know, looking at kind of pursuing that and, you know, I got to get back into tennis playing shape. My, my job is, you know, not all that active. I spend a lot of time, you know, reading and behind a computer, you know, preparing and stuff like that. But, um, so playing tennis, I love pickleball, totally into the pickleball craze. You guys play? I play a little bit because our neighbor has a pickleball court at their house. So we go over sometimes and play with them or yeah. I have a couple of other, friends. but uh, no, I'm not like a player, but I will play every once in a while. <laughs> I've played a couple times and had so much fun with that. Yeah. yeah, It's so fun and it's so social. I have met more people in Red Wing that I did not know until I really started getting into pickleball. So um, when it's winter, we move it inside the Y and they have lines and we, you know, we play in the basketball courts and I got all these like friends, much of them, they're, they're a lot older. Like it's all these older people that seem to play. And there's a few young people. I, I call myself still young. I mean, 50, I'll be 53 and like, Two two weeks from today, I'll be fifty three. So, that's hard to believe. My dad turns eighty one. He just turned. He turns eighty one today. Today's his birthday. So, oh, are they still in Albuquerque? No, uh, two and a half years ago they up and moved to Knoxville. So they're oh. in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I'm like, um, yeah, we almost. So yeah, being in Minnesota is really hard at first. The church was a mess. That was the only reason why we came. Um, the pastor, previous pastor, I won't get into it, but it had to be removed and people were very untrusting. The church was about 25 people. There was no money in the bank and we came and the first two years were really rough and we actually tried to leave. Um, another pastor in Knoxville reached out to me and asked if I would consider coming on staff with him. And so we went down there, we found the neighborhood we wanted, we put a down payment on a house. I mean, we were done and told my parents and my parents like, Ooh, we want to leave New Mexico. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll go to Knoxville and join you. Well, then it didn't work out for us. And that's a whole nother story, but, um, they were like, you know what, we're still going to go. So, so they're down there and they, they, they love it. Yeah. That's so funny that they're, that the possibility of your being there ended up with them actually being there. I, yeah, I know. And you know, like, yeah, it just, it, it like, I won't get into the whole story, but we really thought we were going. And when this pastor okay. called me after we had been down there, he said, Hey, thanks for coming down. Everyone, you know, loved just getting to meet you guys and your teaching. And, um, so I'm sitting there waiting for him to say, well, when, when can you get down here? And he basically okay. says, yeah, so this is a really awkward phone call. And as soon as he said that, I was like, uh Oh, and, uh, yeah, it was, it, you know, and I, I know this guy, I totally trust him, but he just was like, he had no peace. And he just said, I just don't think that this is, you know, supposed to happen. And I was, I mean, I felt like someone had like, you know, remember the Friday night, late night wrestling and the guy gets on the top rope and then just like jumps and flies sideways and like kicks the guy in the chest. That's what I felt like. I was just like, I was gutted. Yeah. And, um, and uh, he just said, well, but be encouraged. <laughs> I'm like, how, how am I going to encourage right now? Mm -hmm. And he goes, because there's something that you're still supposed to do in Minnesota and God hasn't revealed it yet. And, um, I'm excited to see what that is. And so now, you know, here we are and the church is totally blown up and we're buying this new building tomorrow. I'm literally signing, you know, for $1.13 million, you know, to buy this building. So he was right. And my parents, you know, thought we were going to be there. And so they just up and left and, happy as can be in Knoxville, Tennessee.
That's pretty cool. I don't know. It's crazy. Life's crazy. Life is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's next for you? What are you looking forward to? You're going to be an empty nester in a year. Besides our reunion next October, what else? <laughs> no, I plan on being there for sure. No, I totally plan on being there. You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, like I said, for a while, we were really not wanting to stay in Minnesota. And I was pretty much like, I'm not dying and being buried here. And I still don't think that I will. But, but you know, with the church just where it's at right now, like, I, I absolutely love our church. Um, the town that I live in has grown on me. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of the cold. I mean, good gosh, it gets cold here. Holy cow. I literally went one morning I left for church and it was, it said on my phone that the temperature was negative 29 and the wind was blowing. And so I walked out and I walked back inside and Kristen said, you know, like, did you forget something? I said, no, like, the wind chill, it says it's minus 47. I said, this is absurd. I'm the pastor and I don't want to go to church. Like, this is ridiculous. But, but people, you know, they, they just do it. I mean, so Minnesotans, they're, they're hardy people and they know how to clear roads and, you know, they just get after it. And, um, you know, people just like, Hey, this is, this is, you know, Minnesota, you just gotta get used to it. So you'd think that I would be okay. I, I don't know if you guys know this. I, I'm just totally tangenting now, but um, they they found out that I was dyslexic, um, junior year in high school. No, I didn't know that. So it's funny because I, you know, I'm listening to Brad's, you know, um, message and hearing about, you know, his stuff, and then Jeff Eaton, and just you know, kind of all these things that nobody really knew. But I went to take the ACT. Keep listening. It's yeah. a recurring theme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I went to take the ACT, and I got above eighty five percent on every level except reading comprehension. It was like fifteen. And they're like, oh, wow, something's not right here. So they had me go and get checked. This is junior year. And so I got like, I think a 19 or a 20 composite. But so, you know, they found out that I was dyslexic and I went and, you know, did a bunch of stuff to help correct it. I went back and took the ACT, got like a 26. But I mean, my job now, I, I read all the time and I absolutely love to read. I have just books, like more books than I can read. My wife's like, why do you keep buying books? So yeah, I don't know how I tangent it off that, but I was dyslexic. So you would think that I'd be happy or at least at home in Minnesota because it's New Mexico just reversed, you know? NM it becomes MN, but, but it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't really work like that. So, um, yeah, I've learned to just go with it. I saw a bumper sticker one day, and it said, "Dyslexics of the world untie." <laughs> so I got it immediately. You know. But, yeah. I mean, I'm so curious. You went through all of high school and not without. You must have figured out ways to compensate it, compensate for it at a very young age. Um, or I don't know how, did you, did you find yourself struggling in, in English class or history because of that? Um, yes. And yeah. So you guys arrived in eighth grade. And so yeah, I when did you if, start? well, I started in sixth grade, but I originally, see, I started a year early, like, 
um, I started school a year early. They put me in school early. So I was originally, I started in sixth grade with like the class of 88. I was with Mike Steiner and John Wagner and all those guys. Okay. And then seventh grade, I get to seventh grade and I was in a history class. Remember Mr. Pardee? Yep. And yeah. so yes. we were we were required to do just a bunch of reading and whatever. I don't know what happened. I, I literally had a panic attack in class, like fell out of my chair. I mean, they they called like, you know, EMTs or whatever. And um, I remember sitting with uh, John Riley. Remember Mr. Riley? Do you guys know? Mm -hmm. Did you know Mr. Riley? Yeah. So Mr. <laughs> Riley and I and my parents sat down and um you know, he knew that I had started school early and he made this suggestion. I don't know if you guys knew this. He said, you know what? Um, it may be helpful to keep Mike back a year. So I did seventh grade again. So that was really interesting, but it was the best thing, honestly, that ever happened. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, so then I, I, I got, you know, in with the class of 89 and then that was seventh grade. And then you guys showed up in eighth grade. But um, they, I mean, whenever I was in class, if something was said i could remember it if something was put on the board like i had this like photographic memory um so i mean i got by i mean i wasn't i was no 4.0 student but i wasn't like a two point you know four student i was i always hovered around you know three oh three one three two so um i did i just figured out how to do it never knowing anything was wrong but you know not wrong but you know i mean just off i mean just right. something that you had to account for yeah, yeah. But what were your effort grades? That's what I want to know. That's what what? You remember they used to give us effort grades? Oh, remember we wow. got effort grades? I think yeah, it was a I scale vaguely... of one to five. Like one was yeah. you didn't even show up. And five was you were really working your tail off. <laughs> I mean, I was probably like threes and fours. I mean, I was never like four oh, I was never five effort, you know. I was just, you know, just you know, it's funny because you hear someone like Tom Schmidt and, and all these other people who are like, yeah, I wasn't that great of a student, you know, and it's like when you're there, gosh, I just remember some people in their class, I refuse to say names, but just absolutely having meltdowns because, oh, my gosh, they got to be in like some class, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to get into my first choice college. And then you're just like, dude, give it a like, just chill, relax. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, everyone was like super. um I mean, I just say super worried and super concerned about, you know, things that looking back now, it's just like, man, we worried about a lot of stuff that didn't need to. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good segue to looking back a little bit. And um, we usually like to let you do a little reflection on yourself and what perspective and perceptions you had about Mike Montgomery in, you know, 1985 through 1989. What did you think of yourself? What are some recollections that you have? I mean, I would say that I was always pretty confident. Um, you know, I wasn't like the jock jock. I mean, we all know who the four jocks were, you know, Chris, Tom, Tim, Mark. I mean, that was, you know, that was the four big jocks. And then, but, but I was like, I would say you know, fairly athletic, but, um, like I, I was just comfortable with a lot of people, 
I mean, the friends that, I mean, I could hang out with those guys and be totally comfortable. And then, you know, I spent a lot of time with like Damien and Christine and Jenny, and, and I spent a lot of time with you guys. And as uh, someone brought up the fact of the uh, scavenger hunt, oh my gosh, those were like such fun days, you know, just <laughs> everyone showing up in their cars and then like, all right, go. And everyone just like literally going all over Albuquerque, you know, just being insane and crazy. But that was you guys. I mean, so I mean this is what you guys do you you guys collab on very cool fun creative things and people get blessed and get to participate so um you know but I I really you know listening to Mark to Foya and hearing his story like I didn't hang out with Mark a lot in high school um but a few of the reunions we've had like great conversations and for the most part I would say like we all you know got along I don't remember like hating anybody um you know, I, I enjoyed high school. I, I, yeah, I, so where did the monster Mike nickname come from? Jenny tongue. Okay. See, okay. We were, we were trying to recall. Nope. It was Jenny because, you know, she was just this like tiny little you know thing <laughs> and she would like sometimes like, you know, I, and I think she gave it to me, like maybe at Damien's house or something. I don't know, but she, I'm standing next to her and she just looks up and she's like, Oh, why are you so tall and big? You scary monster. <laughs> you know, I, and she just kind of said it and it just kind of like stuck. And the, so her and Christine, that's what they started calling me. It's monster. It's monster. So, and then John Hall, of course, like he totally he like, you know, that's, he still calls me that. Like he'll call me, he's like, Hey monster. You know, I just, I just, I just saw him in Albuquerque like two weeks ago. Oh, I would love to reconnect with him as well. Will, will you help us recruit? I I, I want to talk to him for sure. Yeah. Um, so should we should we do our flash round? Let's do it. Do you want to do the flash round, or do you want to hear? Do you want to hear the story, and we can decide if we keep the story or not? Oh yeah, Absolutely. I didn't know out in the flash round. I've been waiting. I've been no, waiting. No, 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 no. Like it, it, it's not a story that happened at. Um, at the academy oh. so oh yeah so 2018 my son lucas he turned 18 and we finally took the family over to europe and we had been waiting until our youngest would be old enough to appreciate it so we started in budapest we headed to vienna and then we took him to auschwitz and then we happened to be in prague uh, for my son's actual 18th birthday so we are on a dinner boat cruise you know looking at all the the charles bridge and everything lit up at night and we're at the front of the boat and just like the best seats and you know i'm sitting there looking at my son i'm like oh happy birthday and he goes i'm not gonna lie man this is a pretty good 18th birthday and so we're like yeah i mean you know we're in prague on a dinner cruise for your 18th birthday so my wife she turns to lexi my daughter who's four years younger and says well what do you want to do for your 18th and she says i don't know Hawaii. So she just kind of throws that out. And then my wife last year started realizing, wow, okay, Lexi's 18th is coming up. This was a year and a half ago. And um, yeah, let's see if we can, uh, let's see if we can make that work. So Kristen's dad's best friend lives in Hawaii now. He said, come, you have a free place to stay. We'll give you a car. All we had to do is get there. I mean, Southwest ran ridiculous sales. Like the five of us flew round trip for like 2,700 bucks. It was just like, let's okay. go. So we're there for her 18th birthday. Well, Kristen's dad's friend um, used to own, Carly, maybe you've been here. Have you ever go to Cap's Corner in North Beach? 
Italian restaurant. It's right down by the theater that used to show uh, Beach Beach Blanket Babylon, right around the corner. So he used to own yeah, yeah. So he used to own that, and he sold it, and now lives in Hawaii. But um, he was he was fond of the weed. <laughs> I'll the say weed. that. Okay. So <laughs> so we're going to stay at their house, and Kristen says, "Well, should we tell the kids that you know at some point here, um, you know, Tom and Mo, they may end up you know rolling a joint or something." And I'm like. I, it's up to you, you know, like whatever. So we kind of prep them for that, right? We go first night. I'm the first one up the next day. And man, I'm just like, I'm like totally hungry. So I open the fridge and there's this plastic container and there's cookies in there. And so, yeah, yeah, so you can maybe already see where this is going, right? (laughs) So I take all these cookies and I start eating it. I'm like, wow, that's a little bit, you know, different, but Hey, whatever. And, and I just power the whole thing back and, um, everyone starts getting up and about half hour later, man, I'm starting to feel really weird. And, uh, I grabbed my wife and I, I guess I was just, she knew something was up because I'm like, come here, come here. And I opened the fridge and I said, see those cookies. She's like, yeah, I go, I think they're magic cookies. And she's like, well, yeah, it's Tom and Mo. I'm sure they are. Did you have some? I go, well, I had a whole one. She's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? So my son overhears, my, my oldest son, he goes, what? Did Pop have a magic cookie? Are we going to see Pop get high? Say, this is the pastor, right? Okay. Right. And so I'm supposed to go and play tennis with my son and drop Kristen and Lexi off at the beach. So we drive. By the time we get to the tennis court, I am like baked. Absolutely. <laughs> as, I am as big as that <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, apparently they're like super duper, like potent, you know? And so I am just totally tripping on the tennis court. And my son, my youngest son, he is just like laughing just hysterically. And then I, I end up driving. I probably shouldn't have drove, but he couldn't drive yet. And so I end up driving the car back to pick up Kristen. And I, I said, well, I might be high, but I can still park. And he gets out and looks. And I'm literally like totally sideways in the parking lot. And he goes, you, you really, Dad? So for like... Yeah, the next few hours, I was just like gonzo. And my eight, my 18-year-old daughter was like, you just gave me the best birthday present ever. <laughs> you know, to see my dad, the pastor who hasn't had anything in like God knows how long, just high as a kite. That is the best 18th birthday present that you could have ever given me. So It was so unintentional that's why why it's so funny because like it wasn't like i tried i mean i just had a cookie man because like you know i'm I'm first one up and hey what's in the fridge and next thing you know man i mean i was like grabbing tennis balls and staring at him my son said for like 10 seconds just like looking at him and you know just saying the most ridiculous things dancing around at the house well the the Tom, the guy whose house we're staying at, when he came back, he was at mass, morning mass. And um, he comes back and my <laughs> oldest son was there and he goes, my oldest son asked him, hey, Tom, those, there's some cookies in the uh, fridge. He goes, yeah, what about them? And he goes, um, are they like special cookies? He goes, uh, yeah, why? Well, I think my dad got into them. He goes, really? 
He goes, how much did he have? <laughs> and he goes, well, he had a whole one. He goes, oh, we usually eat about a quarter. So this is going to be fun when your dad gets back. So um, they were like super duper potent. And uh, yeah, so that's not really a story that I'd like st stood up in front of my church and, you know, necessarily maybe one day, maybe one day, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but, but, but mean, you're free to keep I, it in because, yeah, it was it was the, my daughter said that was the best birthday present you could have ever given me. That's awesome. I love that's it. Awesome. I love yeah. it. That's too <laughs> oh. This is my so my wife. I don't like my wife. She, I mean, she was smoking weed with her dad when she was ten. I don't know if you know her story. Her dad was a jazz musician. I mean, he was a piano oh. player in the Bay Area and really, really um, well known and. Um, so she dropped out of high school, got her GED at 16 and followed the Grateful Dead for like three years in a van. Oh, wow. wow. So she saw him at least 300 times, cooked lasagna for Jerry and some of the band members in Rhode Island, ended up in Canada. And this is all before she became a Christian, but she ended up in Canada growing weed and like was two weeks out from harvesting about half a million dollars worth with these two other people and their generator broke. So they had to flip the switch on the electricity. Well, it spiked. And so they went out and said, why is all this electricity being pulled from this one house? And they got busted. She was going to go to jail for 17 years. Whoa. And so her lawyer said, Hey, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but if you go back to the States, more than likely you won't be extradited. She goes, but if I stay here, I'm going to jail. He goes, Oh yeah. So she got on a plane and thought she would be met at the airport and turned right around and no one was there. And she got on with her life, ended up in Albuquerque. Um, her brother was, um, in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization and he was playing for the Dukes at yeah, the time. Yeah. And so he was getting ready to go play winter baseball and said, Hey, will you come watch my house? And so she moved to Albuquerque, ended up going to Calvary, Albuquerque, and she got saved and started just, you know, turning her life around and went up to Skip, our pastor, and said, Yeah, I have to tell you something and I need your advice. He goes, What? Well, I was busted in Canada and I was supposed to go to jail probably for 17 years. Do you think I should go turn myself in? And he goes, well, do you feel like you're supposed to have a women's prison ministry in Canada? She goes, not really. <laughs> and uh, he goes, <laughs> So he goes, well, then I would just uh, get on with your life and, you know, accept God's grace. And, you know, so, so yeah, so it's just, it's fascinating, you know, her, her, her whole story as well. So when you ate the cookie, it had a whole different meaning for her. She oh yeah. Like, now, now it's of course a family joke. You know, anytime that the five of us are together, like we were in Florida, uh, end of August, you know, and everyone, the kids are always like, Oh, Hey, Hey pop, you want a cookie? I'm like, yeah, funny, funny, <laughs> funny. Yeah. So it, it'll be a joke for a long time. I'm sure. Oh, oh, your, your wife's story does sound, I mean, what a journey she's been on. Oh, no, it's crazy. And to think that now she's a pastor's wife. She's a homeschool mom who just loves, like, you know, spending time with her kids. Like, mm -hmm. but she's owned two Harley Davidsons. She's seen people, like, die, like, um, and, oh, gosh, the Grateful Dead, I guess, were playing in um, Colorado. And they were playing at Red Rocks. And they were staying at Chief Hosa some campground up I-70 and this guy, she just watches him shoot up with heroin. They prop him up against a tree, go to the show, come back and he's just sitting there and he's dead. So oh, she saw God. a lot of, of that. So she's yeah. like, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that my life changed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that, yeah. that chapter is over. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. Very cool. Gosh. Well, thanks for sharing that. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> any other any other stories? Now's the time. I got beat up by a Serbian or Albanian uh, mafia gang in Budapest. Oh my Spent the night goodness. in the hospital. Was this your first trip or second trip? This is before Kristen and I got married. So, um, so Kristen's brother ended up playing for the Yankees. And in 1996, he had his best year, and the Yankees, um, they made it to the World Series for the first time in like 18 years. And so he was the closer, which means if it's a close game at the end, he's coming in to shut it down. Um, he's very, very well known. And um, so I'm over in Budapest we're engaged and I'm trying to find somewhere in Budapest that showed the games. Well, I found this sports bar. I mean, it was, it was, it was a sports bar and there, you went down, it was underground and there was the bar area. And if you kept going past the bar, you would kind of be in the restaurant area. But I found this guy who was a huge Yankees fan. He was a Hungarian, but he had lived in New York. And basically I saw the advertisement saying like world series games. So he could somehow get a feed from the States and he would record the games because of the time difference and then show them the next day. So, um, you know, we started going to watch the games. Well, we went in one night and we're trying to watch the game. And suddenly, man, someone got a hold of the stereo. And there was all these, there's all these guys in the bar and they were just completely like gone. And they were loud and yelling and someone turned the stereo up so loud you couldn't hear yourself talk. So I went in and I'm frustrated because I want to watch the game. So I go in to this group and I'm thinking that they're Hungarians, but I hear like they're speaking as either Serbian or Albanian. So I there's nothing I can say to him. So all I do is put my hands up. You can't really see, but I put my hands up, you know, just kind of like in frustration, like, ah, well, they thought I'd gone in and just like flipped them all off. So mm -hmm. as I go back to my seat, I sit down and I see like literally 10 guys like rushing me. And literally I turned and this guy just cold cocked me. I went flying out of my chair. Tables were overturned. Oh I got kicked in the face. And then um, they were trying about seven of them were trying to lead me up the stairs out to the street. And I thought if, if they get me outside, I don't know if they're going to like stab me, shoot me, put me in a car. I have no idea what's going to happen. So I leaned with all my weight back down the stairs and I tumbled. And I remember being on the floor and my face was like, sideways on the floor and I saw a boot come and just kick me, you know, in the face. And next thing I knew someone was pulling me out and taking me to the back. And I mean, I was all just bloodied up and two of my friends were bloodied. And, um, yeah, we found out that they thought I had just gone and flipped them off and, you know, they were not happy. And so I spent the night in the hospital in, in Budapest because I got beat up by some mafia gang. <laughs> oh so, God. yeah. I definitely like that story more but that was that was intense <laughs> yeah yeah so no it hasn't been it hasn't been a boring life it has not been a boring life by any stretch mm -mm. no way Very yeah amazing. yeah wow well I'm, I'm glad we asked <laughs> yeah so my friend years ago he said all the crazy stuff happens to you man you should write a book someday so i don't know we'll see probably not probably not sure. too busy all right well let's do our flash round flash round yes. lightning round Ooh, lightning round i'll kick us off yeah yeah all right okay all right. mike montgomery 
who was your high school crush? Ooh, I think I had two. So Steph Miles. Yeah. And I was always super jealous of Mark because he was my doubles partner and she was always at her matches. And I'm like, oh, she's here to watch him. I want her to watch me. Yeah. Um, and the other one, she was at the academy for a while and you, you know who she is, um, but Sonnet, good enough. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Another great tennis player. We played lots of tennis together, and I was friends with her, you know, brother, you know, Wyeth, and you know. But mm -hmm. yeah, I always, I always, I always like Sonnet kind of secretly. <laughs> All right, lunch pudding or veal birds? Discuss. Oh gosh, I, 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 I really did like the munch pudding. I actually enjoyed veal birds, but it's just weird. It's like grape nuts. It's not grapes, and there's no nuts. <laughs> It's not veal. It's not veal, and it's not a bird. But you know, I, awesome. but I, but I kind of, I, I kind of didn't mind the veal birds. It was like you know, I, yeah, I, I thought the food was actually quite good. You know, your insight about the parallel between veal birds and grape nuts is probably the most profound commentary yet on <laughs> this question. Question three, what was your signature style or clothing brand in high school? Oh, I think I rocked and ripped Gap like to a T. I think I was, I think I was a Gap, Gap baby, Gap child. Yeah. So I would always go and, you know, they had something, you know how you could take the magazines and be like, oh, that's a cool outfit. And then you'd go and like search for the items to make up that outfit. So mm -hmm. I think even my senior picture is like got this Gap, white Gap sweater, kind of thing over you know i don't know if it was like a turtleneck or you know something but yeah it was definitely gap okay what car did you drive in high school and how did it meet its demise i feel like i can picture your car but i'm gonna see if well, I i'll tell you about the first one that didn't last very long so my dad bought a 1986 blue nissan extra cab truck with a camper shell. And I drove that for a couple months. And then I was out with John Hall and a few other people um, behind the academy, just like off-roading and I put it into a ditch. And so um, lost, lost that and my dad took the truck back. But I ended up driving for most of the time in high school, a white Volvo station wagon. I can't believe how many people had their cars sort of crashed either at the academy or by other academy students. It's yeah. So I, know. Funny. I know. And the amount of people just in the few interviews, well, 10 interviews, or whatever, that actually had Volvos. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, oh, was, yeah. that was quite a popular uh, car. But I mean, I think parents gave us those cars because it was quite a safe car. Right. Totally. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, was, it, was, it was kind of a tank. It was kind of a tank. Yeah. It is really yeah. amazing how much admiration I have for the members of our class and how stupid some of the choices were <laughs> back in the day. It, it, it's, oh, yeah. it makes me feel better. You know, like we, when you look back at, yeah, you know, I did wheelies. Uh, this is not me, but somebody was did wheelies with their car and crashed into the arches We've heard about mailboxes being flattened um, and then just other questionable adolescent decisions. Well, I remember driving up. 
I remember driving up Academy and John Hall's, um, he had a Volvo and had the little crank um, sunroof. Oh, yeah. To like crank it open. And we would like ride around, he, Ty, and I sometimes, and we had this bottle rocket launcher. And we would stand up through. You know, we're driving and you're not, you know, no seatbelt. You're driving. If you crash, I mean, you're going to be like probably severed in half. And, you know, we're like shooting bottle rockets just at neighborhoods. And we were going by Tanawan. And I remember as myself or John like shot a bottle rocket and it kind of, you know, went all over the place. And then it went into the guard shack and we saw it explode, you know, and we're just like, like but you look now, it's like, man, what a bunch of like, wow, idiots. What a bunch right. of idiots. <laughs> This does remind me of all those Gen X memes about how we were basically just feral. Nobody knew where we were, what we were doing. Next question. Let's go. I can't wait for this one, Mike, because I know you and I spent a lot of time listening to music together. So let's go. All right. What song or band would be on the soundtrack of your high school experience? Well, I'm, Probably Carla knows where I'm going to go. Um, the band that was absolutely iconic to me was NXS. NXS um, probably for sure would have been, I mean, I just was so into Michael Hutchins. He was just, to me, like, you know, like the new Jim Morrison. He was just so cool and just had the coolest hair. And I was gutted, man, on November 22nd, 97, when, you know, I found out that he had died. When they came to Tingley, I don't know if you guys went to that show, but I was in the second row and just was so happy to to, to see them. So yeah, NXS would be would be mine. All right, what high school teacher had the biggest impact on you? Ooh, I always loved um, Senor Esquivel. I always loved him, and I had him as a basketball coach in eighth grade. But he was just always super nice to me and um, really encouraging. And then the other one, I would have to say, um, uh, Daryl Gage, you know, Daryl Gage. And a lot of it maybe wasn't so much from a teacher perspective or standpoint, but from tennis. I spent a lot of time with him out just out on the court. Okay. Uh, what was your favorite hangout spot on or off campus? Oh, I loved... I love spending time out at the quad. You know, I was pretty social and that's where a lot of people would hang out. Um, you know, like the big steps where well, the amphitheater right outside Sims, you know, mm -hmm. that area was, was usually pretty cool. And then, you know, I mean, I, I think everybody's going to say the next one, like Dion's, but that's, that's where <laughs> we went. Started at Dion's. Sure. It all started at Dion's. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, that was the fastest way to get the info, right? Oh, yeah. It takes so long call each other it was just much easier just to meet there and get the info <laughs> right yeah and then you'd hear like oh hey there's a party here and then everyone start migrating that way and yeah yeah for sure what was do you do you have a high school regret um well one maybe uh, trying to be like Tim Reedy that day on the ski lift, you know, I wish I would have never done that. Cause I, I think that really kind of jacked up chances to maybe play college tennis. But, um, I mean, that's kind of silly, but, um, you know, like I grew up in a household of faith and, you know, looking back, I wish I maybe I could have, I would have leaned into that maybe a little bit more during high school. Like it, it was kind of something that kind of, I don't know, kept hidden, you know, I don't know. You, you, everyone has to work through those things. And then the other thing too, I think at times, you know, I was probably judgmental. I mean, we all got along, but you know, in my own brain, if someone was not like me, I could like be okay around them. But in my head, it was just kind of like, there would be kind of like this inner kind of judgment and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I wish, Maybe I would have not, you know, been like that. It wasn't like I necessarily played out and I was mean to people or, you know, whatever. But, you know, you just kind of have these attitudes before you really get to know somebody. So maybe those. If you could go back in time, this kind of relates to the previous question. If you could go back in time and tell yourself in high school something about the future, what would it be? Wow, not to stress. I, 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 you know, Academy was, I mean, it was kind of intense in, in a lot of ways. I mean, the pressure and, you know, as you become a junior and you're a senior and everyone's like, oh, where are you going to college? And, you know, there's just a lot of stress. It's like, man, just relax. Like, it's going to be okay. And, like, how many people that you guys are going to talk to or have already talked to are doing something in their life that they – went to college and it had nothing to do with what they went to college for, you know? Majority. Yeah. And we, I think we were all a little bit uptight. Um, mm -hmm. And you know what? Just relax, man. It's going to be okay. You're going to get through, you're going to grow up, you're going to mature, you're going to like, you know, figure stuff out. I know there's so yeah. much going on in our lives that is invisible to almost everyone, yeah. if not everyone. It's just to be more understanding of where people are at and not be just so quick to, you know, peg somebody, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And we're in a, we're in a place in the world where there's just so much sort of polarization and animosity and the inability to just, you know, I would say, assume the best intentions and goodwill in other people. Right. So yeah. it's a good moment to embrace that mindset. Well, and just to get to know people, you know, and to he and to hear their story. That's why this is so brilliant what you guys are doing. <laughs> okay, idea. last question. Yeah. Question number 10. What would be the title of your high school memoir? Oh, man. And I knew this question was coming and I thought I had an answer, but um, <laughs> made it through. And now we're alive and kicking. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, alive I, I, I like to use like, song titles. 
Yeah, the simple the simple mind song, you know, alive and kicking. I don't yeah. know. Um, oh, that's maybe, awesome. Maybe. Your adult memoir would be "Don't Eat the Cookie," but <laughs> don't eat the magic cookies in cookie, the fridge. Cookie monster. Yeah, cookie yeah, monster. that gives a whole new definition, right? A whole new definition, of cookie monster. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Jessica and Carla's High School Reunion is written, directed, and edited by Carla Silver and Jessica Slade. Our theme music, True Sight, is by Jared Matt Greenberg. Please subscribe and listen on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.